Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, John does such an amazing job of detail in the narrative that we see all of the contours of the story into which he draws us. And this is one of those that I think just comes into such amazing relief for us that we're just right there at Jacob's well with Jesus and the woman Um, There's a contrast here between this uh, reading and last week's reading. Um, Last week's reading, if you remember, there's a private conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And this week, there is a private conversation between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. And John, who loves these contrasting themes of light and darkness, has woven those into these two stories. Um, Nicodemus is male, Jewish, religious, and comes under cover of darkness. Uh, The Samaritan is a woman non-Jewish, irreligious, a social outcast who comes at noon in the brightness of the noonday sun. And so there's a contrast here. The other thing that I want to note is they're private conversations. And John has recorded them. So he's heard them from somebody. Um, Has he heard them from Jesus himself? Or has he heard them from Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman? Um, However he has heard them, they were stories that held great importance for them to be included in the gospel narrative, to be part of what we have received as God's holy word. And so let's look a little bit. I'm going to take us a little bit uh, back from where this reading started. Jesus has been in the south of the country, in Judea, and um, his uh, or his disciples have been baptizing lots of people. Um, So much so that he has now more disciples following him than were following John the Baptist. So although we always think of the twelve, there are lots of people who are following after where Jesus is going to the extent that he knows that word has gotten back to the Pharisees. And so he needs to get out of Dodge and he needs to do so quickly. Now, if he's coming from the south, from Judea, and he wants to go north to Galilee, which is where he's headed, the most direct route is through Samaria. Um, Normally, Jews would not go through Samaria at any cost. They would scoot over to the, uh, they'd cross the Jordan to Jericho, uh, hug the Jordan up, and then come back in, across the Jordan again, back into Galilee. 
because the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and it was rocky countryside and there were a lot of robberies that took place in there. But we hear in this gospel, he left Judea, departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So for whatever reason he had to, this was going to be his route. And so he gets to the city of Sychar, outside of the city of Sychar, to Jacob's well. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who became Israel, who had 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel uh, back in the day. So Jacob had had this well and he'd left the land to Joseph. Of course, it's now Samaritan country because when all of the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom went into Babylonian captivity, uh, the Samaritans intermingled and intermarried with foreigners. So they were no longer pure Jews. And so there was a lot of tension, a lot of tension uh, between them and the Jewish country to the north and, and the south of them. And uh, this, this little uh, snippet that we have, Jesus is tired He didn't need to put that in the story, but he's put it in the story so that we know Jesus is human. He is tired. So he sits down at the well where he is completely alone because the disciples have gone into the town to get some food. And then uh, this woman approaches. Well, immediately, the first hearers of the story are going to know something's not quite right with this woman because it's noonday and she's coming out to get water. Nobody comes out to get water in the heat of the noonday sun. The women do go to the well to get water, but they all go in a gaggle together. They go out there in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the late afternoon, early evening. And they do so because they gather around the well and they pull up the water and they chit-chat and they gossip about what's going on and they just have a good old fellowship together. She's by herself. So that immediately gives the idea to the hearers, something's not right with this woman because she can't be with the other women. They don't want her around. So she has to go out and get this water when nobody else is around. Now, this doesn't shock us quite as much as it would of the first hearers of this story. So let's go back a little bit and try and figure out quite why, how shocking this was. First of all, now it's quite clear that she is a woman of ill repute uh, because she's there. So she's a social outcast for whatever reason. Jesus knows. We find that out afterwards. But for any woman to have any kind of a conversation, to be anywhere close to a Jewish male, Jewish woman, even more so or less so a Samaritan woman, they shouldn't be within, you know, a mile of each other. There is just no way that these two should be close together. And so you can just imagine the scene, can't you? She's coming up and she sees this, Jewish male sitting on the well and she needs water. What is she going to do? She can't come close. She comes enough of a distance away and what happens? He makes the first overture. 
and he asks for something that is outrageous. He asks her to give him a drink. That's unclean. She's an outcast. She's there at noon. That means that he doesn't have a bucket, but she does. She's going to touch the bucket, touch the water, and then give him something to drink. And so her astonishment, we, we, we can't even fathom her astonishment. Are you a Jew asking me for water? This is unheard of. And there's this wonderful play throughout this story because Jesus is speaking at this deep spiritual level and both the woman and the disciples are thinking physical realm. And so the woman is thinking actual water, the uh, disciples are thinking actual food, and Jesus' whole conversation is in another realm completely because he's talking about spiritual nourishment, living water. He said, if you knew who was asking you for this, you would ask them instead to give you living water. And there's a play on words there because it's running water. Well, she's a Samaritan. There's no running water anywhere around. She knows the only place that she can come for water is to Jacob's well. Where's, where's the water you're talking about? I know where the water is all the way around here, and there is no running water anywhere around. See, both of these stories, both the story about Nicodemus and the, with Nicodemus and the story with the Samaritan woman, is Jesus revealing about the life-giving power of God's Holy Spirit. You, can, you have to be born again of the Spirit, and these living waters are this spring gushing up. Don't you just see that amazing image, this clear water, pure water, gushing up, not just kind of trickling, but just gushing up to a well of life, just filling the people with living water, with God's Holy Spirit. And so, um, so she says, well, give it to me. But she's still thinking, I don't quite know what he's talking about, but uh, water that I never had to go back and pull at this well again would be really good. And so Jesus says, so go and get your husband. Well, he already knows the answer to that question. He says, well, I'm, I, I don't have a husband. And, and he says, no, you've had five. Um, and this one you're living with is not your husband, so you have spoken the truth. But notice this, he's not wagging his finger. There's, there's kind of a, a little bit of humor, I think, in, in the way he's revealing this to her. No, you, you were true. You were only half true, but you were true. You're speaking the truth. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know whether or not she's, um, she's trying to change the subject. Um, it kind of sounds that way because she says, oh, you must be a prophet. And we worship on this mountain and the Jews worship over here. Let's get off the subject of my husband's pretty quickly. And it's like, you know, there's, a, there's an Episcopalian and a Roman Catholic and a Baptist. And they're all saying, well, you know, we worship and we do it right. And this, this is kind of the way the conversation is going. Well, we worship on this mountain. You all worship over there. And so Jesus enters into this little sidetrack dialogue, but takes it back again to the initial 
conversation about the Holy Spirit. We don't actually need those physical places to worship because God is spirit and it's about worshipping him in spirit again by the infilling, by the gushing up, by the spring coming up and bursting forth in our lives. Worship happens. Worship is always God-focused. Worship is not about whether or not we go away feeling like we've sung the songs that we like to sing and we've said the prayers that we like to say. Worship is always about opening up ourselves, the God's Holy Spirit, connecting to himself and praising God. The focus of worship is always and only giving glory to God. And Jesus says um, that's what true worship is. It's worshiping with God's Holy Spirit within you. And so um, she continues on and she says, well, yes, I know, um, you know, but Messiah's coming and he's going to sort all of those, you know, issues that we've just been talking out. He's going to sort all of that out. This is a Samaritan, non-Jewish, outcast woman is the first person he reveals his identity to. Yes, Messiah is coming. I am he who is speaking with you. Doesn't matter what she's done. Doesn't matter her past. Doesn't matter that she's currently an outcast. None of that matters. He is always about connecting with people where they are. And at that point, the disciples come back. And they're, you know, the English term, I know another one, they're gobsmacked. They're like, what is going on? He's, he's Jewish, she's Samaritan, she's at noon, and he's talking to her? What is this? But he doesn't, they don't ask, they don't dare ask the question, what on earth are you doing? Um, they wouldn't dare. And so she leaves the bucket. She's come for something. She's gone back with the living water. She's already got the living water starting to well up within her. And she goes running back to the village. He's told me everything, everything that I ever did. Could, could he really be the Messiah? Starting a dawning, a dawning knowledge, a dawning understanding. He is indeed Messiah. Could he be? Let's go back. Come on with me. Come and see. She's so excited. Can you get that? She's just, she's run. She's left the bucket. That water, forget that water. This is so important. Come and see. She doesn't care how they're going to uh, view her. She knows her standing in the village, in the city, but she just goes and shares it. It doesn't matter how they're going to respond to her. She has to share it. Meanwhile, back at the well, uh, the disciples have come with food and they're, and they're trying to get Jesus to, to eat. And he goes back the same as he has said to Satan in the desert, my food is doing the will of my father. This is food enough for me is to do the well of my, the will of my father to do to be surrendered to what my father wants me to be doing 
And so uh, the, the woman comes back and they have this um, encounter again with Jesus. And this little, you know, phrase that's just hooked in there at the end, kind of a throwaway phrase, but he stays two days in Samaria. He stays two days in a place that if they have to go through at all, they race through. And he is staying two days to talk with these people. And eventually they say to her, well, you drew us to him. It was your witness that had us come and talk to him. But now we know. We've had this personal experience of this Jesus who is Messiah. And don't you hear the rejoicing in this village afterwards? Well, so what does that mean for us? First of all, I would say this, that clearly Jesus will break down every barrier. It doesn't matter our socioeconomic background, our gender, our race. It does not matter. Jesus makes a path all the way through that. It is of no value to him whatsoever except that each and every person is a beloved child. And he will go to them wherever they are. Note this, he's the one that goes out. He makes the first move. God's grace always goes ahead of our response to him. His grace always goes forward, ahead. He makes the first move. He initiates the conversation. God is always going out to his children. Paul puts it this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. He takes the first step and then, after he's entered gently into conversation, a conversation about water, he comes gently to the place where he reveals sin. He doesn't do it all in one fell swoop so that we are completely overwhelmed with the knowledge of our sin. He pulls it back a little at a time. And he does it ever so gently so that he can pour the living water in to transform and to clean and to make new. It's never about condemnation. It's always about healing. It's always a revealing of sin so that it can be cleansed out and made new. And he gently opens up her past. He's never put off by it. He's never put off by our past. Wherever you've been, however bad you think the past is, it doesn't matter to God except that you would repent of it and be filled with his living water. That is the only thing. He will change the past. He breaks the bondage of the past 
so that the past no longer has any power over our lives. He puts it behind us. And notice the way that conversion happens for the woman. First of all, the connection is made in the head between, okay, this is Messiah. This is the long-awaited Christ. And Jesus confirms that he is Messiah. Oh, I know about Messiah. I've heard about Messiah. The head is involved, but it never stays just there. Because he always needs it to go into the heart. And so they have this relationship. They have this conversation. And finally it moves from here to here. Did you see that with the people in the city who came out? They said at the very end, first of all, you brought us to him. But now we've encountered him. Not through you, but directly. See, we're always to go out and bring people in, but eventually it's a personal relationship. It's the same for our children. It might start out as a relationship because we've brought them to church and they know a Christ through us, but it always has to eventually become a personal relationship with the one who gives food and living water who gives us all that we would ever need. This La Samaritana, St. Fortini in the Orthodox Church, has a date on the Orthodox calendar as the first evangelist, a fallen Samaritan woman with a past who is the first one to go out and share who is this Messiah Who is this Jesus? We do not need to grapple our way to God. He comes to us first. We do not need to be good. We never will be. We will never, ever be good to be loved by him. He comes first and loves us first. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And we do not need to be overwhelmed by our sins. He gently reveals them so that he can wash us clean. We do not need to be bound by our past. He sees our potential and breaks the bondage of our sins. And we do not need to wonder whether or not we are worthy to be entrusted with his kingdom work. He sends us out into fields white and ready for the harvest. May we, like her, be released from the bondage of our past and with great joy, throwing caution to the winds, go and say, come and see who is this Messiah, Jesus. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.